Welcome to All Your Favorite Music is Probably, where we take a themed dive into popular songs and unearth the connections like the coins you found in the dryer. I'm your host, Mark Montgomery French, music culture writer, film composer, and sushi enthusiast. Today's theme is All Your Favorite Music is Probably, Songs Recorded on the Cheap. And my guest is Christian Hand, creator of The Session, a track-by-track breakdown of some of the greatest songs ever recorded. Hello, Christian. Hello. Good morning, afternoon, or evening. Excellent. I am glad you're here. Because I want to talk about how much it costs to record an album. And of course, it used to be millions at some point. I think, what, uh, Guns N' Roses, Chinese Democracy costs $13 million. They don't always cost that much, but... um, Sometimes it gets pricey. So imagine it's 1998, and the average cost of an album was like mm, between 30000 and a million dollars. And here comes NWA, and they managed with Dr. Dre to record their album for a mere $12,000, because they're indie, and there's no money. And Dre's a genius. So, which is about $1,000 a song, which is a little cheap. Uh, and so I want to play one of the songs from that album, the clean version, which if you think about it, must have cost him even more money to go back and re-record all the clean versions of that album. So I'm going to play for you N.W.A. Straight Outta Compton. You are now about to witness the strength of street knowledge. Place without a clue. And once you're on the scope, you know. 
know you're through. Look, you might take it as a trip, but a brother like Rand is on a gangster tip straight out of Compton. 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 His name and the boys coming straight out of Compton. It's a brother that'll slap your mother and make your sister think I love her. Dangerous young brother raising hell. And if I ever get caught, I make bail. See, I don't really care. That's the problem. When I see a police, I don't dodge him. But I'm smart, lay low, free for a while. And when I see the punk pass, I smile. To me, it's kind of funny. The attitude showing such as driving. But don't know where the hell they going, just rolling. Looking for the one that calls easy. But here's the flash. And that was Straight Outta Compton by N.W.A., the clean version for radio, which is, uh, to me, almost like a comedy album because my mouth wants to say different words and they come out completely differently. The thing I like about this album, though, is that it cost dirt cheap and it sold three million copies, which is funny because you've been in the music business. The amount of money spent on an album has zero to do with the amount of quality on said album. Yeah, I mean, the police first couple of police records were less than that. I think basically like 5,000 pounds, if not less than 5,000 pounds, the first two police records. It's all about how you use the studio, not the studio that you've got. Totally. Uh, I also had an idea about Dre himself thinking, because Dre has headphones and Dre has, at one point, beats music, he could technically create Dre-canceling headphones. Like, literally, it would only play music he produced. I mean, that would definitely be a, uh, it would be right up his alley, I'm sure. <laughs> Just that. Dre produced jams. Right. So at $12,000, that's, you know, the bottom level of cheap, but that's the most expensive album we're going to cover on this podcast. So if you remember back in 82, Bruce Springsteen was going to record his sixth album. And he had a demo that he had recorded on a Tascam Porta Studio. So for those of you who don't remember this, that was the beginning of a four-track cassette level of recording demos. At that point, it was either recorded into a cheap cassette player, but getting multi-tracks was kind of a big deal. And he bought this Porta Studio for a little over $1,000, and he wasn't a great engineer, so it was all murky. There was a very speed button that was randomly set. Uh, he did a mix down through a second boombox, and he kept trying to get his band and engineers to make the new better recording sound like the cassette. And then he just gave up and said, let's master from this. So, of course, everybody panicked. The label panicked. But 
uh, the songs were great, and that's what was released. So Bruce Springsteen's Nebraska album was mastered from a cassette, and it's awesome. So I'm going to play for you one of those songs, which is Bruce Springsteen's Atlantic City. Well, they blew up a chicken man in Philly last night. Now they blew up his house, too. Down on the boardwalk, they're getting ready for a fight. Gonna see what them racket boys can do. Now there's trouble busting in from out of state. And the DA can't get no relief. Gonna be a rumble out on the promenade. And the gambling commission's hanging on by the skin of its teeth. Well, now everything dies, baby, that's a fact But maybe everything that dies someday comes back Put your makeup on, fix your hair pretty And meet me tonight in Atlantic City Well, I got a job and tried to put my money I got debts that no honest man can pay So I drew what I had from the Central Trust And I bought us two tickets on that close city bus Now baby, everything dies, honey, that's a bet And maybe everything that dies someday comes back Put your makeup on That was Atlantic City by Bruce Springsteen. Off air, you mentioned something about the azimuth, Christian. Yeah, I, th- I think I remember that there was something even worse where the, the boombox got wet or something where 
the quality was so poor that they had to fight to get it to work. And then ultimately it did work. And in fact, the authenticity of the record is sort of defined by that sound, which is a unique version or example of the great pumpkin interfering and making things <laughs> magical. That's fantastic. Um, yeah. I don't know if, if Bruce even knew about like, cleaning a head or any no. sort of like, uh, you no. know, engineering maintenance uh, things, None whatsoever. Uh, th- things I do not miss about uh, analog tape. So that was $1,000, to record. Now we're going to go even cheaper with Nirvana's first album, Bleach. And they famously recorded this at Reciprocal Studios in Seattle, I believe, with producer Jack and Dino. And he charged them $20 an hour. They did 30 hours, and so the total for that album was $606, which is, uh, and again, Jack and Dino was famous for, let's record stuff cheaply, let's not do a bunch of crazy effects, let's not get into tape splicing, but that's still pretty efficient for 1989. So, yeah, disappointing loss of uh, opportunity to charge $666. Oh my God, right? <laughs> I would have tacked on a pack of smokes and made it 666 bucks. Boom. There you go. That's a legend. That's a legend. It, that is amazing weird it didn't happen that way nope so i want to play for you probably the biggest hit off this album because i believe they did it uh they played a lot live and i believe it's also on the unplugged album it is about a girl by nirvana
That was About a Girl by Nirvana. Total cost of that album, 606 bucks, which I believe was loaned to them by Jason Everman, the uh, short-time second guitar player for Nirvana. Uh, considering how that album sold, I'm guessing a million copies, probably a very good use of $606. That's a pretty good recoup. <laughs> and now, pretty good. And now we're going to go even cheaper. Up in Canada was a band, and probably still is, called the Cowboy Junkies. And they recorded an album called the Trinity Sessions because they recorded it in the Holy Trinity Church out in Toronto. And they had no money. But what they had was access to this bizarrely new uh, kind of mic called an ambisonic microphone, which basically records in three dimensions. So it was $10,000, but they rented it on the cheap and they recorded all the tracks around this one super omnidirectional microphone for 250 Canadian dollars. And that was the album. They all got close. They all stood back. They mixed. It was direct. They recorded it to a Sony Betamax, which is not the way most people record stuff. But you know what? You're a young band. You figure it out. And I'm going to play you a song from that album. It's a cover of the Velvet Underground Sweet Jane. Here is the Cowboy Junkies.
And that was Sweet Jane, covered by the Cowboy Junkies, originally by Velvet Underground. And that was from the album The Trinity Sessions, which cost 250 Canadian dollars, which I, I'm assuming is a little bit more expensive than American dollars, as most money is. Um, and again, that album went platinum and made their career and it was inspiring to me when I was in a band of how to record stuff on the cheap that sounds awesome. As long as your band can play live, you have possibilities. It's an amazing sounding recording considering it's done with one microphone. Right. Now, another way that people have recorded on the cheap is to not use necessarily the highest quality microphones or guitars or basses or drums because, well, they're poor. <laughs> but they know how to play. And one of my favorite janky pieces of equipment is Eddie Van Halen's original guitar, which he made, which he called the Frankenstrat, because he put it together from random pieces he saw at a guitar shop. He painted it himself with a not guitar paint, but with, I believe, bicycle paint. He uh, was not the greatest engineer. He dipped the uh, he had a, a feedback problem on his pickup, so he dipped it in wax, stuck it in, and if you've seen the Frankenstrat, it's ugly. It looks very, very hurt, but he made it so wonderful. And I want to play the song that made everybody go, who is Eddie Van Halen? And this is essentially one short guitar solo turned into a song on the first Van Halen record, and this is Eruption. And that was Eruption by Van Halen. Uh, I remember playing this song for my 13-year-old. I'm like, you have to hear this song. And he looked at it at, the, at the, the, the phone and went, I don't get it. I said, that's one man playing in real time with no effects. And that's when he went bonkers. Because all he knows is cut and paste material and overproduce things. And the idea that that's one person just, and that's just, you know, one thing he could do at that time. And he was floored. Literally, it was like Tex Avery cartoon, eyeballs popping out, shot <laughs> nice. hit the ground. Like, I must l listen to this, Van Halen. Yeah, I think you should. Now, the joke is this, the, the guitar costs 130 bucks, but 
the replica that was made about 10 years ago in a, a limited edition of 300 copies was $25,000. Yeah. They, they the old fan of, well, they, those clones are amazing. I mean, they had to go and like source exactly the reflectors that were on the back of it. Each of there's like a drywall screw that's holding the, um, the uh, guitar strap to the, the body of it. Like it's not actually a, you know, any sort of hooking device. It's literally a drywall screw and they went on that source and there's like seven different screws in the whole thing. And they, it's supposedly exactly, exactly the same, which is kind of crazy. Does those, they do that with the, 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 they've done a Clapton one. They've done his, they did Andy Summers. I think they did a clone, but they're amazing. My conjecture is that I think that the, Side one of Van Halen one is actually the greatest debut album side one of all time. You know what? I can't disagree. And completely parallel, I was listening to uh, the Mammoth WVH album before recording, and it's pretty slamming for a debut album, I gotta say. I, I only know Wolfgang from Bits and Pieces, but it's kind of amazing. And yep. he's playing everything. It's amazing. But yeah, I think so. Uh, you're not big on side two of Van Halen one. I mean, it's it's a it's a gr- I mean, that whole record is great. But side yeah. one is just relentless. I it mean, is. You know, you, like you start with running with the devil. That's your that's your that's your establishing statement of a rock band is pretty damned good. I mean, that's yeah. the way to do it. And then eruption is track two as a guitar solo. Like, come on, <laughs> they could be done. It could have been a, an EP. And yeah. here it is. <laughs> That's it. No, it's bonkers. It is. No, it's so much energy. Uh, speaking of energy, I want to talk about a really cheap piece of equipment. Beastie Boys uh, never saw a janky piece of equipment they did not want to put on a record. And although they had really nice mics in the studio, uh, Adam Yawk was uh, in love with the ECM V1 by Sony, also known as the Variety Microphone. It's a cheap plastic microphone with big, janky buttons that was originally used for doing karaoke. And he wanted the vocals in So What You Want to sound distorted, and the engineer correctly said, why don't we record you clean and distort after? And they went... But that's not the same thing. So nope. all three of them, this, this mic, which at the time, which is 92, they probably walked into oh, a, a Radio Shack or someplace like that. Uh, for those of you who are younger, look up Radio Shack uh, and bought these in bulk and thought this was what was missing to make this song awesome. And it was. So I'm going to play for you So What You Want by the Beastie Boys.
And that was the Beastie Boys, So What You Want. It is hard to find a picture of this microphone because it was trash, basically, and it's out of production. But if anybody wants to see this thing, if you look in the Sure Shot video and you go to about 2 minutes 42 seconds, Adam Yock spins this microphone for the blink of an eye. Like, I, I had not seen it until someone pointed this out to me. And you can see he's very proud. His name's on the back with masking tape. And he's very into it. Uh, and if you find it on eBay, it's probably hundreds of dollars. I think it was 80 bucks. And uh, it, it, it made the song really cool. Well, so there's actually a lot of sense in tracking with that microphone because it changes the character of your voice and then you perform through that sound instead of it being a thing that you do after the fact. Changes the performance. It's very smart. Beastie Boys were geniuses. They were, Right. Yep. Um, I read the Beastie Boys book, and it was interesting because the remaining two go, Adam Yock was a genius, and Adam Yock didn't really seem to understand that he was. He knew that he had different ideas, but it was like, you legitimize all three of them, not only as rappers, but as songwriters, and what you did to create a song, whether something as simple as let's turn the, the drums backwards or let's have multiple bass lines or let's bring in these samples or let's bring in chanting monks. Like no one was doing this and no yep. one has done it. And you made it work for the entirety of your career. Yep. You know, brilliant. Talking about brilliance. I want to talk about Prince, but more importantly, I want to talk about the 40th anniversary of the first time album, which I believe is July. I remember being a kid, listening to the song Cool on the radio, going, Father, Mother, I must purchase this. And getting the, the, the single and trying to figure out who Jamie Starr was and playing Cool back and forth. And didn't realize till much later, it's Prince and Morris Day. And that's basically it. And realizing Prince liked to record lots of material and pretend he had nothing to do with it. And it turns out the Times' first album was recorded in like two weeks because the deal went through really quickly. He recorded all things at that time in his house. It's 1981, and Prince recorded Controversy there and the Times' first album and probably a lot of other things because Prince never got out of the studio. So I want to play a song from the Times' first album, which is cool. And here it is right now. Still. 
That was cool by the time, which is basically Morse Day on drums and vocals and Prince on pretty much everything else. Because, uh, you know, Prince had an outlet to be funky and not experimental and Morse could just sell it. And again, the whole thing was probably recorded for free. I mean, maybe the cost of recording tape. Ampex 456 was what back then? 50 bucks a reel? Sure. <laughs> He's probably buying it in bulk. So let's say the whole time album cost him... Maybe with two reels, a hundred bucks tops, you know, it was pretty inexpensive. But now I want to talk about was probably the biggest ratio of how much you spent to how well the album was received. And that is Billie Eilish. And Billie Eilish recorded her last album in a bedroom at her parents' house with her brother Phineas. And he used Logic Pro as a source to record the album, which means there's no recording tape involved. He had regular speakers. He may have had some plugins lying around, but essentially they spent zero money on getting it tracked. Somebody mixed it, somebody mastered it. But from what I can tell, they spent nothing. There's no outside musicians, nothing. It was just those two. And I want to play a song from that called Bad Guy. Duh. 
And that was Bad Guy by Billie Eilish. And the theory is that it was her and her brother Phineas alone to record uh, the breakthrough album, When We All Fall Asleep, Where Do We Go? Yeah, I think that, uh, you know, he obviously they did record it in the bedroom and do all of that. Uh, the mixing was done by somebody else. And if you've made enough records in your bedroom, you know that, you know, or you've watched anybody make records, you can do a lot in the mixing process and uh, you know, things it's not the same in this day and age of like, Oh, they did it in their bedroom. It's not quite the same doing it in your bedroom now as it was doing it in your bedroom in the sixties. No. So there's a little bit of mythologizing there, not to take anything away from their accomplishment. And I think it's uh, you know, it's brilliant record. And I, I watched the documentary and fell in love with both of them. And I think they're incredibly talented, but I think we have to be, we have to be a little more careful in this day and age about how much of the, mythos we create around these artists instead of just the truth of it. That's that's totally valid. I mean, even with Prince, the belief is that Prince recorded everything, played everything, and like he, you know, Morris Day admitted that Prince's Party Up was his song, and Prince said, I'll give you $10,000 for Party Up, or I'll try to get you a record deal. And Morris took the record deal, which was probably best for everyone. Yeah. So I, 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 I hear what you're saying. It's, you know, Paul McCartney's great. Paul McCartney has... Um, some of the greatest Beatles songs he wrote came from Ringo Starr malapropisms. Hard right. Day's Night was Ringo. I think Tomorrow Never Knows was something Ringo yep. said. So does Ringo get money for that? No. Um, I love Sting, but the guitar part on Every Breath You Take was Andy Summers. Andy gets, Very much so. Andy gets no money for that. <laughs> nope. And Andy's big enough to go, that's okay. I know who I'm working with. I'll take the royalties from the recording. I'm okay. Yep. <laughs> well, Christian James Hand, thank you very much for bringing light and depth Pleasure. to my podcast. 
And that is our show. Come back next week where we will unveil another fun theme. Original music courtesy of Spiky Blimp. Follow me on Instagram and Twitter as Mr. French. That's M-R-F-R-3-N-C-H. It's not an E because I was late to grabbing my handle. So it's M-R-F-R-3-N-C-H. And thanks, and I'll see you next time. Originally broadcast on KACRLP Alameda. Underwritten by Sip Tequila. Curators of boutique sipping tequilas delivered directly to your door. Use code AFM10 at checkout to get a one-time 10% discount. Learn more at siptequila.com.